Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast for part three of our Premier League preview week. This is the last episode that we're going to be doing previewing the upcoming, the, the fast upcoming season of the Premier League. I am joined by two men who, you know, while the transfer window is open, might need to go on loan to another podcast to gain some first team experience. I am joined by Caleb Rhodes. Hello, hello. And Nathan Strauss. Hi. And you know, speaking about loaning in some serious firepower for this episode, we figured that since we are talking about the heavy hitters in the Premier League this time around, we needed a little extra manpower to help get us through it. We are joined by the sports editor of the Yale Daily News and a fan of his beloved Chelsea football club. It is Bill Gallagher. Hey, guys. Bill, joining us for the first time on Spotify and we are happy to see him join us for this discussion of the Premier League top seven-ish. Yeah, uh, let's let's go for it. This is obviously, I think, going to be the most contentious, maybe hot take-filled episode of our preview show thus far. Competition at the top has gotten much tighter in the past 30 or so days, thanks to a lot of action in the transfer market, particularly from Bill's own team. But we'll get to Chelsea down the line. Do we want to start with the team that finished fifth? last season after a disappointing run of form during the restart Leicester City. The Foxes qualifying for Europe, which is fantastic for them. Love to see their club find success. I think they're a tremendously well-run club. They're going to have to deal with some some big holes in their squad, though. They sold Ben Chilwell to Chelsea, which we'll talk about later on. They got a ready-made replacement for him in Timothy Castagna from Atalanta. But other than that, no incoming deals as of yet. And for a team that is pretty reliant on Jamie Vardy, it sort of remains a question to me how long he can still produce at this level, even though it seems like he perpetually defies the uh, defies God in terms of how he ages. You have to think that eventually he is going to regress a little bit. And with European rotations, Um, I think that this is a lesser team that might end up finishing a few places down in the table from where they finished off last year. Leicester were able to take advantage of, you know, Spurs and Arsenal in particular having down years. I think that this team will honestly perform roughly as well as they did last year, but still slip down the table because I think, you know, more traditional top six teams will rise back up. But I am not going to bet against Jamie Vardy. I think that this man might as well keep chugging on forever, chugging God knows what that keeps his body going. But I mean, he was the he was the top scorer last year as what a thirty two year old, thirty three year old, thirty three, thirty three year old. So he's gonna keep going. He isn't, you know, in the England setup anymore. I mean, Leicester might have some problems balancing European football, but in general, the Premier League is where Jimmy Vardy has shined for more than a half decade now um and i think he will continue to do so i think it's interesting you say that though i think vardy is definitely the star of the team but i maybe this is a hot take but i think this is james madison's team now 
I think he is by far and away the most creative person on the team. I think last year he was just phenomenal on the wing as well, just scoring and assisting and just generally creating some energetic, um, uh, attractive play. I think he's probably going to be the crucial aspect of Leicester if they're going to have any chance of you know, almost repeating what they what they did this year. I think he's better than Vardy. That certainly is a hot take, but it's a hot take I like. And I'm surprised that Leicester have managed to hold on to James Madison for as long as they've held on to him. Uh, I guess COVID has kind of helped them in keeping some of their more valuable assets. Leicester were, uh, were a team that in and around the holiday fixture period last season were in second place, believe it or not. Such was their fall off in the year of 2020. Uh, this is a team that lost 4-1 to Bournemouth towards the end of last season. They lost 3-0 to Tottenham. They lost 2-0 on the final day to Manchester United. So they're really hitting some, what can only be described as relegation form. And I think the quick restarts of this season, or like the quick beginning of this season, is really going to affect them because though they were suffering a heavy amount of injuries coming into the end of last season. And I don't think they have been able to really let those players rest and recuperate. Ricardo Pereira is still hurt to start this season. Obviously, they're losing Ben Chilwell, but James Justin is going to have to start on the other side of that back four. Jamie Vardy, I think it's interesting that we... He is obviously a 33-year-old, but he started his professional career so late that his actual football years in the game and the amount of minutes that he's played actually, I think, makes him a bit younger than we consider him. So I I think it's going to be just at least another season or two until we actually see the Jamie Vardy falling off a cliff that has been predicted by so many people. But maybe this could be it. You know, the the body, the human body is the human body. I just think that maybe this season is just coming a little bit too quickly for Lesser to compose themselves again. Maybe, but I also think that other than Jamie Vardy, there's a lot of, you know, younger players that could still improve a lot. Like James Madison is only 23. His stats were a little down last year going from... Uh, seven and seven two years ago to six and three last year. Yeah, so th- this team has a lot of good young players in the squad. James Madison is only 23 and certainly has room to grow. I still think we can see Yuri Tielemans become a more clinical goal scorer. I think the big question, and you kind of alluded it to, maybe more so even than Vardy, is can this team play well without Ricardo Pereira? Can this team... Or is Timothy Castagna a good replacement for Ben Chilwell? Or is he too much of a true left wing back to play as like a normal left back? But I think if Castagna can be good and you know Pereira eventually comes back, I think the big reason why we saw Leicester fall off is because their wide backs were just terrible at the end of the year because they had to play Justin and whoever plays at right back. I don't even know who it was. There are elements of this team that are, can still trend up, even if Vardy has the potential to trend down. One more point on that is that Leicester actually transitioned into playing a back three once Pereira um, got injured. And so they were playing in a back three for most of Project Restart. And that I don't think it's a coincidence that that coincided with their, their worst run of play. I'd actually be pretty excited to see how Ricardo Pereira would fit in as a right wing back rather than just a right back. Because obviously he's so strong going forward. Obviously... Timothy Castagna has, has a lot of experience playing as a pure left wing back as well. So I'm curious as to whether Brendan Rodgers will mix it up a bit. They, they do have an aging back line. They had to play West Morgan a decent amount last year. Johnny Evans is certainly no spring chicken. He's now 32. Um, and despite the emergence of Chaglar Sayunchu, 
they might need another addition to their center back ranks in order to truly be able to rotate as much as uh, I think they might, they will have to. Yeah, I guess the question is how much do you trust Brendan Rodgers to keep this team consistent in the Premier League? Because he's not particularly been the most consistent manager when it comes to results. And I think oftentimes like his players seem to get a little bit tired of his message, especially with this season creeping up on them and the way it's crept up on them. It's The onus is going to be on him to motivate this team to go again after a pretty disappointing end to the campaign last season. Wouldn't have put it past him, though, would you? It's it's so hard for Leicester fans now, I guess, knowing that they were in the top four for pretty much all of last year. But, I mean, fifth is still incredible. I think we need to keep on harping that. I think this team probably should yeah, have finished absolutely. tenth. So, I think... I, I, I Look, I think Rodgers is overperforming, and I think he will continue to... Uh, you know, excel and drive the most out of this Leicester squad. Actually, I think it was Steven Gerrard who said that his man management skills are almost second to none, and that sounds ridiculous. But I think he has, you know, the composure and the capabilities to really uh, take the pressure off his players, especially now that, you know, they're not the most experienced with the exception of Schmeichel and Vardy. Leicester could be a surprise package. I think it would be weird to see them hit, say, top two, top three, top four. But you know, Europa League run is definitely in the mix, no question. Also, we should remember that low-key Leicester probably should have finished fourth. I mean, their goal difference was 11 better than Chelsea, and somehow they finished four points behind. So in a lot of ways, and I know they ended the season with a bad run of form, they probably deserved top four on the whole. It remains to be seen what another season of Europe will bring to Leicester. Do we want to move on to Spurs next? It's time to go all or nothing, boys. (laughs) Caleb, obviously we've uh, focused quite a bit on Spurs in the past couple of weeks because we've been reviewing episode by episode the all or nothing documentary. But he's had a bit of time now to establish himself, get his feet underneath him. He signed Matt Doherty, as we discussed on our last episode, (laughs) right back. And he's also signed Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who is a bit more of a traditional central midfielder, which is something that maybe Mourinho felt like he needed someone to sit in there towards the sixth position and patrol that area of the pitch. What do you make of this season for Spurs, and what is success going to look like for Tottenham this season? This is a huge season for Spurs. It's probably a bigger season for Mourinho's career, which is definitely, you know, been trending down for honestly a decade I'd say since he since he left uh, Real Madrid I am not convinced by these transfers I think Hoiberg is incredibly average like shockingly average guess how many goals and assists he had in the Premier League last year actually to forget forget about the goals because he had none and in the assist count he had one and he played he started 30 games and was a substitute in three so he was a regular player his passing success rate 78 percent, so under 80 percent, which for a center midfielder unacceptable if he plays Hojberg over Ndombele or Lo Celso or even Harry Winks who I don't particularly like that would be a travesty the only reason I think they brought him in is perhaps now that Vertonghen's gone, they intend to play Dyer more minutes at center back. But regardless, this is a completely lateral or even makes their team worse transfer. Doherty, 
I think he, I mean, he was really good at Wolves. He had like four goals and like eight assists or something um, for Wolves last year, which He's is definitely nuts. a step up from Aurier, I would say. But no, but, 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 but he played at right wing back. Right. And Marino's going to use right, him in a back right, four. Right. right. Yeah. right. Um, so I, I don't think it's the worst signing in the world. I think Spurs probably need a left back more than they needed a right back. Um, but point being, neither of these signings are advancing the team. Certainly Joe Hart is not advancing the team. Well, as usual, we've seen the problem where it's really hard for them to upgrade their offensive pieces. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Bergvine does with like a full season. Um, but I think this is a Spurs team that will probably finish fifth or sixth. I really don't see them having any momentum to get a top four finish, especially in comparison to how other teams are shaping up. Caleb, I'm going to I'm going to push further on that and say that they finish in eighth. Listen to this ridiculous run of games that they have at the beginning of this year. Between September 13th and October 3rd, so 20 days, they have seven games, including one in Bulgaria. Right? This is a Say team no more. Gonna, this, is, this is a team that's going to have to deal with a Sunday fixture at St. Mary's before a Tuesday fixture in the Cup, and that's following a three-day turnaround from Bulgaria. Like, I don't think this team has gotten better at all. I think they've gotten worse. I think they've spent $30 million and not improved their team one bit. They lost uh, Jan Vertonghen, who, despite the fact that he was aging, was probably their most uh, respected center back. They still have Alderweireld, but Danny Rose is leaving for Italy. So that's just more depth that they're, that they're losing um, at a position that they're already quite thin at. This is a team that is not inspiring now, and it's not inspiring in the future, and when Harry Kane eventually misses two to three months, as is tradition, I think they're going to really, really falter. And despite the fact that I've I've grown to like Mourinho a little bit more as a result of All or Nothing, I have zero faith in this team. None whatsoever. So I'm quite looking forward to watching their demise with a grin on my face. So more nothing and less all. For you. Yes. Yes. Well said. Wow, that's deep. I think honestly, if they get a, if they score a single goal against Arsenal on Derby Day, that's a successful season for them. <laughs> like, not even eighth place. I, I don't see any energy. I think this team just is old, useless, and like you said, uninspired. I, I just, I did not think that Arsenal would be the more exciting team in North London, like in November of last year. And it's just, it's unbelievable how much a year does to. I mean, this year's messed up in general, but like. Come on, Arsenal. Yeah, I, I I was just really disappointed with some of the stuff that they were playing towards the end of last season, particularly that nil-nil draw away to Bournemouth, in which I think literally not like negative stuff happened in that game. You started to see signs of Mourinho's style starting to creep into this team towards the end of last season as well. Son and Mora being less of inside forwards, more hugging the touchline. A lot of isolation for Deli Ali. Harry Kane didn't look super fit towards the end of last season. I'm not really sure how fit he is coming into this season. Obviously, he's been away with the England national team. So perhaps he's ready to fire on all cylinders again. But like Nathan said, he's a huge liability when it comes to injuries, even though he's a tremendously talented player. I'm also not entirely convinced with the Spurs team. I don't think Hoiberg is the traditional Mourinho defensive midfielder. That has brought him success in the past. You know, he's no Nemanja Matic. He's no John Obi Mikel. So I don't really know exactly what type of role he's going to play in this team. And I think, Nathan, you're absolutely right. The Doherty played a completely different role for Wolves, and he's going to be asked to play for Spurs 
So I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. Just like you guys aren't convinced. The fact that you say that Hoiberg is not as good as John Obi Mikel, I think, shows you the magnitude <laughs> of the issue. You know, Spurs faces and like, what even has Dele Ali even done? Like, I forgot he existed for like the last six months. What 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 has he actually done? I I think. You know, it, Spurs basically consists of Harry Kane with the crutches or whatever you want to call that, like a goalkeeper on occasion and like some people running around in the middle of the park, you know, trying to close the ball down. That's about it. Brutal assessment. <laughs> I mean, I look, I, I, I don't I don't think it's worth uh, our time saying that they have any hope. I, I just, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe they get to like the Europa League quarterfinal. I, I, I don't know. It depends if they face off against like, a middling German side or like a Swiss team or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, here's the thing, I guess, like if, if they miss out on champions league, and especially if they miss out on Europe altogether, is it all eggs in the Europa league basket? I, I mean, I feel like if they don't make champions league in the league this year, this team implodes, right? Like Kane's going to like dip this summer. Son might stay. Deli Ali might stay just because, you know, as Phil was alluding to, like, he just hasn't really progressed that much. But this team's kind of like done. Like it feels a little bit exhausted. Yeah, it feels like they're at the end of a cycle, but they don't know how to start the new cycle. And Mourinho isn't the guy to come in and do a complete overhaul of your team and like a rebuild job, integrate youth and start from scratch. He's someone who you come in to kind of shine up the finished product and bring your trophies. And I think the Spurs team is far from competing for any silverware. Moving across... North London, perhaps. Maybe we can talk about Arsenal that from that previous discussion seems like we have a few more positive things to say. And it only makes sense to turn to our Arsenal fan in residence, Nathan Strauss. Pretty good summer so far for uh, for Arsenal from a, from a fan perspective. Um, news today that uh, Mikel Arteta has officially been handed the title of uh, manager in the same way that obviously Arsene Wenger was. So positive signs everything he says the right thing all the time which is very very refreshing but from a transfer perspective we released Henrik Mkhitaryan to Roma on a free and then loaned out some youth players we brought back Danny Ceballos on loan from Real Madrid who was one of Arsenal's better performing midfielders especially towards the latter half of last year we signed Willian on a free and then in probably the more the most exciting transfer so far for Arsenal fans, signing Gabriel Magalhaes, a promising 23-year-old centre-back Brazilian from Lille, to pair with our other young centre-back, William Saliba, who, despite not being signed this window, will be making his first team debut almost certainly uh, this Saturday against Fulham. And the signs are that we're not quite done yet. Uh, Arsenal today announced that they're planning to sell Emi Martinez to Villa for around 20 million, and they're still looking at getting in another midfielder, either Hassem Awar or Thomas Partey. Arsenal have seen the areas in their squad that need improving, particularly center back and center midfield, and at the very least gotten another year of cover in Danny Ceballos, have signed well for the future. In Willian, you have a really capable player off the bench who created the second most chances in the Premier League last year, um, who signed on a free. And despite the fact that he's aging, I think he'll contribute a lot to the squad, um, especially in Europe. And I'm sure he'll be a good mentor for some of the younger players in this team. And all in all, I'm 
pretty optimistic that this team can push on and challenge for fourth place this year. Um, and I'm, I, I know it's not the most ambitious goal to target, but getting far in the Europa League, winning a domestic trophy and finishing in fourth place would definitely make this season a success as Arsenal continue to try to reestablish themselves as contenders. Arsenal looking for the Wenger trophy again, that coveted fourth place position. Yeah, I really like the way that they strengthen the season. I think the signing of Willian brings them a lot of experience that they didn't previously have. And anyone coming into the team that has won previous honors at other clubs is always a benefit going forward. I think they clearly needed to strengthen defensively. I think they were playing above the sum of their parts at the back towards the end of last season. So Gabriel is a welcome addition. And I think Arteta, like I've said many times on this podcast, he's brought a spine to Arsenal that they so desperately need. You're only starting to see the sort of fruits of his labor produce now. You know, he's won two trophies on the bounce, depending on whether or not you consider the Community Shield a trophy. I think it's just important to get that winning mentality underneath the uh, the feet of this Arsenal team. I... I think they've made good transfers. I don't think they quite have enough to finish fourth. They kind of have an issue where there's two generations of players in this team, right? Like they have like a bunch of young defensive players like Saliba, like Magalash, like Tierney. And then they have, you know, a young, youngish midfielder in Danny Chabayas, who I assume they'll try to buy at the end of the year. But their like goals and offense are like, still very reliant on an aging Abemiyang, who I still think will show up this year, but like you can't rely on him two years down the line. An inconsistent Lacazette. And I just don't know if Saka, Martinelli, and Ketia, you know, have it in them to take on more of the goal scoring burden that they're actually going to need to take on if this team is truly going to challenge for top four. Like, I don't think just buying defensive players is going to be what propels this team onward and upward. You're right, but also Aubameyang, similar to Vardy, is he sort of ages differently. Um, Arsenal used the the StatCast program, and apparently he consistently tests like far and above what you would expect from a 31-year-old. This is someone who hasn't played fewer than 30 games in a league season ever. Um, since becoming established at Dortmund. One of the things that I've sort of forgotten about is how good Martinelli was last year. I mean, he had 12 goals uh, for Arsenal and four assists. And admittedly, some of that was in the Europa League. But when he comes back and we can rotate a little bit more, and once we get a full season of an acclimated Pepe um, to the Premier League, I think this this squad has a lot of options. I don't think that this team is going to be a Chelsea that's going to go out and score five goals a game. I would rather win a game 1-0 than 4-3. And I think Arteta feels the same. Let me just say something, Nathan. I think you're if you say that this, this team is going to be winning 1-0, no, I, I think you're wrong. This team will be like losing 3-1 minimum. Let me just run through. No, no, I think this isn't a hot take. I mean, let me just run no, through. This, this is why we bring yeah. Bill in. This I is love why it. we bring Bill like, in. No, I'm sorry. Like Hector Bellerin, Tyranny. I mean, why is Gabriel Paulista on this thing? Why is Socrates still on this team? I mean, Rob Holding is not a defender. Mustafi, <laughs> Mustafi tackled a referee. I mean, David Luiz, we know is a joke. And Sad Kolasinac, I'm sorry, does he know how to kick a ball? I mean, these are all your the people you have, like, as your cover. And you're relying on, like, two 20-something, like, early 20-something-year-olds to carry your team, like, through the Europa League and the Premier League to fourth place. I honestly, I, come on, man. Like, that that's not happening. Spurs, 
Spurs might find it hard to score against uh, Arsenal, but like, come on, no self-respecting team won't score against Arsenal. I mean, they still have David Luiz at the back. He's still trusted to be their their experienced center back going into this season. I think that's a huge red flag, especially. <laughs> See, the bad the bad takes are just flying right now. I can't count all these bad takes. Dude, Damn. these aren't bad takes though. Yeah, I think I there's gonna come wait. a point. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to reflect on this podcast when Arsenal finish in third. We get to see how poorly you guys thought of us. Anyway, that happens, that'll like prove like the multiverse theory, right? Like that's not this universe, my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> any possible permutation. I, I think there is going to come a point this season when Arteta is going to be faced with a couple of bad results. And then I think that's going to be the real test of his early managerial tenure is because we've seen like things are pretty rosy for him now, but he things did have to like take a serious turn when he faced a couple of heavy losses you know, away to Man City and away to Brighton. And that's when things started turning around. So I think there is going to be, this team is young, this team is inexperienced. They've picked up a couple of decent wins. You know, that win against Manchester City was, was a comprehensive victory. They played extremely well. They didn't put a foot wrong in that match. But I also think that there are a lot of errors still in this team that I don't think Gabriel Magalhaes is going to fix, especially because he's coming over from League One, or League uh, sorry. It's a huge jump up for him it's also going to be huge jump up for Saliba and like Bill said they're two inexperienced 20 something year olds and however talented they are the Premier League is still a massive learning curve as we're going to get to with Chelsea I think they're going to have similar issues perhaps not as you know broad as Arsenal's at the back are but I think this team is going to be composed but I also think they are going to come up against a couple of bad results this season that are going to test Arteta. Look, Nathan, I just Arteta is a fantastic manager so far, and I think he's learned under one of the best managers of all time. There's no denying that. Yes, he's had a rosy uh, sort of first six months, as you guys have mentioned, but I think he's going to be the reason why this team overperforms if anyone else, if any other person does that. I mean, he is by far and away mature, confident, and knowledgeable in the game. And, you know, I think there there is an an optimistic possibility, I guess, that uh, Arsenal can potentially steal fourth because of Arteta, but it's not because of the talent of this team. I guess we'll see how Arsenal fare this year, but perhaps turning to the team that there's probably the most to discuss. I'm and... so excited to talk about this. <laughs> Me We've too. Been waiting. Been, We've been I've waiting. Been, so excited. We've been waiting. This team has spent you know, net 130 million pounds this summer. There's been a portion of the last year, year and a half or so that I think we've all forgotten that Roman Abramovich still owns this team because he's been, you know, off the face of the earth. We haven't seen him at Stanford Bridge in a while, but it turns out he was just like mining vibranium in Wakanda and like opening <laughs> up a different oil refinery. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like fund all of these transfers. Uh, the transfer ban is over. Chelsea have bought some serious talent. They bought everyone. <laughs> they bought everyone. They're, yeah, they're, they're still playing not done that. buying because there are rumors that Mendy, the goalkeeper from Liga, is on his way to contest Kepa for that number one spot. Bill, this is a totally new Chelsea team that we're seeing this season. Uh, Timo Werner, a generational talent in Kai Havertz, Thiago Silva at the back, Molang Sar, who's, I guess, going to go on loan. It's good that some things don't change with the loan system, I guess, if we're going to be positive. So Declan Rice still potentially to come in. We don't know where that transfer is, but we know that Chelsea are very interested in him. 
to play at center back and Ben Chilwell for 50 million from Leicester. What are your expectations going into the season with this serious talent coming into the club? Well, I think obviously we we all know that the bar is now significantly higher than scrape for fourth place. I think, you know, a trophy is to be expected and that's a normal season at Chelsea. That's what every Chelsea fan expects. That's what Abramovich certainly expects. I think it might be hard to push for a Premier League uh, title this year, um, but I think a deep cup run in the Champions League, potentially winning the FA Cup, is probably a reasonable expectation for a, a first-year team, effectively, under Lampard. Um, you know, I think the sky's the limit, though, and I think uh, there's some real feel-good optimism. You know, I don't think we're going to go worse than third, if, if, that's, if that's being honest. Maybe that's being too demanding, but... Uh, it's 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 good. I'm excited. I think that this is without having even finished yet. Remember that the, the transfer window is going on for you know another four weeks. This is already one of the greatest transfer windows of all time. This transfer window, in my mind, brings me back to like Real Madrid 2009 um, in terms of just how much talent was brought in at once. And of course, it makes sense. If you look at this window as the sum of the last three windows, um, which I think in many respects, you kind of have to given the transfer ban, then it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, they've gotten their business done incredibly efficiently, like 33 million pounds for Ziyech, who's a player who was rumored to move to the Premier League for three years now. I think that's a great deal in the prime of his career. You get Timo Werner, a player who's approaching the prime of his career, who has three years of Bundesliga experience as one of their leading goal scorers, as well as Champions League and national team experience for under 50 million. Brilliant deal. Liverpool are going to rue the day that Werner put on that blue shirt. Chilwell from Leicester, you get, you know, maybe the second best or third best left back in the league, who's also English, for a slightly inflated price. But given how few left backs there are in the world who are, you know, capable of playing at this level, and that it was their weakest spot in their squad. Great bit of business. Havertz for 72 million. Yes, it's a lot of money. It is a ton of money. But he is the player who is pretty much unanimously thought of as the future of the center attacking midfield role in the world. And it is just an obscene transfer. And if Chelsea can get in either another center back or a goalie, I don't really actually have too much faith in, in Mendy. Um, but if they were to be able to sign someone like Onana, for example this team would basically have reinvigorated itself by, you know, signing seven of 11 starters in their starting lineup um, in one transfer window. And I think that is undeniably a success from Roman and Marina and the other figures at the helm. But Nick, I have a question specifically for you here. You've been pretty outspoken um, about how you think that Lampard is, quote, a fraud. What do you think needs to happen this year for him to lose that that the, to lose that mantle in your mind? I think he needs to leave the club, and Chelsea needs to appoint a new manager to deal with all this world class talent. I think that's honestly what needs to happen in order to get the best out of this Chelsea team. Lampard, he's not shown me any qualities of a top tier coach, and I understand that he's only been coaching at like the head coach level for two seasons, and there's a lot for him to learn. And maybe I'm totally wrong. And, you know, I certainly think Chelsea fans will want me to be wrong because he's a club legend. And I think he has the poise to take this job and take Chelsea 
farther. I'm just not totally certain he knows how to effectively organize a defense and effectively organize a balanced team, especially since he's getting pieces in like Kyle Havertz, who are undeniably talented, going to be world-class players in the future. Timo Werner, you could say, is already a world-class center forward and a massive improvement over Tammy Abraham. I think it's a little bit worrying that Lampard has shifted his approach from that investment in youth that he was so dedicated to last season. And he's already sort of pivoting towards going out and buying expensive talents. I think you never want to really compromise your philosophy. And we've seen how that can lead certain clubs astray. But I think the talent in this team might, you know, buffer that somewhat. I just don't know if Lampard, just like we're going to talk about Ole at Manchester United, I think Chelsea need an experienced hand to come in here and get the best out of this talent in order for them to challenge in the near future. Chelsea, their defense was as good as Brighton's last season and Brighton finished in 16th. And like Thiago Silva, you know, world-class center back, but this guy's highlight reel is in black and white. And like Pele was still playing when this guy was playing for the Brazil national team. Like he's that old. And I understand like he's an experienced hand, played in the Champions League final, but I'm just not sure that him and Saar, who is going on loan, and Chilwell, who has significant injury history, is going to be quite enough to stop the bleeding at the back for Chelsea. So I think they're going to light the Premier League alight going forward. However, organizationally at the back, I just am not completely sure that Lampard is the guy. Yeah, I think you've you've made you've made a few points. I, I think the big one is this season is incredible represents a complete discontinuity from last year, where Lampard took a bunch of relatively unproven players, often youth players, and turn them into the third best offense in the league, which I think is a huge achievement. Clearly, Lampard knows how to coach offensive players, and I'm not sure Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell are going to, you know, revolutionize the defense. But I think that this team with Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and Ziyech offensively is probably twice as good now. They scored 69 league goals last year. Nice. Um, let's just say they score like 20 more with all this talent or, or maybe we'll be even more conservative. Let's say they score you know, 15 more and score like 85 goals about the same that Liverpool scored last year. And then with their defensive improvements, they still don't have a great defense, but they concede 10 less and they're conceding 44 instead of 54. That's like a 25 goal swing in goal difference. And that could easily get them an extra, you know, 15 to 20 points in the league. So I think with these offensive improvements, it doesn't even matter if their defense becomes elite. It just needs to become a touch better for this team to go from just going for fourth place to I think they're going to finish second. It'll be interesting to see if they switch formations, right, and go for more of a 4-2-3-1 with Havertz as a true cam, Pulisic on the left, Ziek on the right, and Werner up top when they've normally played you know, some combination of like a 3-4-3 or a 4-3-3. That's the thing, right? They have so many specialty players that it's going to take a little bit to get the balance of this team right. Right. But my point is just that I agree that the offense, or sorry, the defense probably isn't going to improve that much, but it only needs to improve a little bit for this team to just vault up the right, table right, because right. of their offense. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I think this is a top three Premier League side. The talent in this team alone I don't care who's managing them. I'm just not sure that Lampard is the guy right now. Maybe if he goes away for a little bit, you know, grinds a little bit, gets that experience, he comes back to a top club, and then he achieves great things. 
I'm just not certain. I'm just not certain that he's shown us top level managerial qualities to get the most out of this talent. I don't know. This all seems like Zidane back in 2015 or something. I think it's very important to highlight more than Solskjaer. I think that Lampard is someone who knows the club. He knows the upper echelons of uh, Chelsea's uh, system. I mean, Petr Cech is the technical uh, manager um, and he knows Marina Granovsky and Roman Abramovich very well. And he knows what the club expects and his personality matches that of the club. I think that is something that is unwritten and you don't really see on the pitch, but mentally makes a massive, massive difference. And I think now that Chelsea do have the firepower that I think Real Madrid had when Zidane uh, first came to the job, I think, look, Chelsea has a very good chance of being able to do what Real Madrid did, you know, five years ago, six years ago. It's, I, I, I think it's important to be optimistic with someone who was able to pull a, you know, a team that relied on a championship striker and a championship wideout in Mason Mount as well, you know, to go third in the, in the, or fourth in the league, rather. It's, this is all new, and, but I don't think Lampard's done anything to raise any massive concerns. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think you're pretty off base with calling Lampard a fraud, um, but I, I like that it provides a little bit of diversity of thought on this podcast. So Chelsea, we're. I think I've, I can I can I can firmly switch my take from fraud to inexperienced. <laughs> um, but I I have a question for Bill, and I remember when uh, Tottenham sold Gareth Bale way way back in 2013, and they went out and bought an entirely new team. Essentially, they went out and got seven or eight first team players, and they didn't bet in the way that Spurs were expecting. Uh, obviously, it's an entirely different situation. I think these players are vastly more talented than the players Spurs brought in that season. But do you think there is going to be a period of about four or five months where this Chelsea team do look a little lopsided and unbalanced while they get used to you know, playing up to the level of the Premier League and trying to find that composure in the team? No, I don't think so. I think it's important to compare the players bought. And I know you, you, you said that, uh, you preceded that with a bit of a pinch of salt. But let me run through them. Uh, so with the Gareth Bale money, uh, Spurs bought Roberto Soldado, Eric Lamella, Etienne Capu, Vlad Kirikas, oh. Paulinho, <laughs> Nasser Chadley, and Christian Eriksen. Only one of those players can I really say is elite. Uh, you know, that's controversial now. I mean, come on. Chelsea bought Ziyech, Werner, uh, Silva, and Havertz. All of those players are elite. Chelwell, there's potential. You know, Though that it's that's a tier above. I mean, you you expect them to do better than what Spurs did, which is mediocrity in the Europa League. It's this is I think it's a different scenario, um, and we need to treat it differently than that. I think what's more of a pressure cooker is comparing this summer to uh, the summer of 2017 after Chelsea won the league um, when they signed Caballero, Rudiger, Bakayoko, Morata, Zapacosta and drink water for roughly 190 million pounds in total. I think that's the pressure cooker, not the comparison with um, bail, the bail money. But I think, um, I think this, yeah, I think I was just using the bail money because hazard was sold pretty recently. I think this, a lot of these transfer funds are holdover from that deal. No, absolutely. You're not wrong. I think, look, I, I think this is an optimistic, youthful team. And I think that means that they 
won't mind joining a new club, uh, relatively speaking. And I, I think they'll hit the ground running. I think there's there's a little bit of concern with Ziyech uh, for the first day against uh, Brighton, but I does that Chilwell really matter? Out to you, from what I yeah, understand. right. And but Thiago I, Silva. Oh. That's all right. I think I think against Brighton we'll handle it, and then afterwards we'll just sort of pick up steam from there. It's all about momentum. I think Chelsea have a relatively uh, good start to the season with regards to fixtures, so I, I wouldn't be so concerned. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm really excited to watch this team play. I think offensively they're going to light the Premier League on fire. I'm so excited to see Timo Werner play in the Premier League. Nathan is absolutely right that I'm going to uh, totally just be pit, like hitting myself every time he scores a goal for Chelsea because I think he would have done massive things for Liverpool. Uh, however, COVID is COVID and we weren't able to get that deal done. But I am just extremely excited to see this Chelsea team play. I have a soft spot in my heart for Chelsea. I don't know why. I think just because like when I was getting into the game, Chelsea had just won the Champions League. I'm a big fan of Drogba. I'm a big fan of Jose. I'm a, even a big fan of Frank Lampard. So I'm not totally convinced of him as a coach, but as a player, I absolutely loved Frank Lampard. So I'm excited to see what this Chelsea team can do, and I hope that they are as dynamic and as fun to watch as we all want them to be. I actually, Chelsea are the team that I dislike the second most in the entire Prem. Uh, I dislike them more than United. I dislike them more than every other team but Spurs. I find them completely contemptible as a club. Despite the fact that I think they're going to do quite well, I will not be enjoying their success in the same way that I'll be enjoying, or in the same way that I was even able to like passively enjoy Liverpool winning the league, as, as hard as it is to watch another team win the league. Anyways, I think I think Chelsea finish in third this year. You know, they'll be at least a fun team to watch. Nathan, your problem, though, is that, you know, they have Pulisic, the baby Jesus, Ziyech, one of your favorite I know, players. I know, and I Werner, know. your favorite player. Like, frankly, <laughs> frankly, there are more things that you should be interested in in Chelsea than Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think you're actually a closet Chelsea fan this year. Yeah. I think this might be the season Not of uh, in the least. Yeah. This might the be the side, man. I know this might be the season of Judas Nathan. Who knows? <laughs> never. I would never. And anyway. Giroud, who is one of my favorite Arsenal players. Too. Although reports, reports just now that Giroud, no Giroud. It seems like he's going to Juventus. It sounds like he agreed personal terms. Oh, that's oh, such okay. a good transfer for them. He's he literally just like Frenchman Zukic. Yeah. All right. Anyways, we got to talk about Manchester United because we are running low on time here. But, Caleb, take us to the red side of Manchester. Oh, Manchester United. Ole is sort of inexplicably still at the wheel, saved by Bruno Fernandes. Maybe it's more Fernandes is at the wheel. They have not made that much summer business. They extended the loan of Odin Gallo from Shanghai Shenhua. They brought in Donny van de Beek from Ajax for a tidy 35 million pounds, who adds, I think, a bit of a hybrid player to their midfield, not quite as attacking as Fernandez or Pogba even, uh, but with perhaps a little more steel. I think this team will be looking to just carry on with what they were doing at the end of last year, where they really seem to click with that front four of Rashford on the left, Martial up top, Fernandez in the hole, Greenwood on the wings. They're probably feeling the most hopeful they felt as a club in however many years it's been since Alex Ferguson left. Despite the fact that we saw them impress following the arrival of Bruno Fernandes, they are going to finish in fifth and Ole is going to be on his way out. 
I think that the signings that they have made this summer or rather singular signing that they have made this summer makes me think that they really put all of their eggs in the Jaden Sancho basket. And now that Dortmund have literally no reason or interest in selling him and he doesn't want the move to United this summer. Although it sounds like they're still pursuing him from the, from the I, looks of things. They're still pursuing him. I don't think that they're going to wind up with him. Um, especially because the player isn't trying to force the move, which is what so often happens with these Dortmund wantaways. Donny van de Beek is a good signing, but it's not as good of a signing when you consider the fact that United had six first-team center midfielders um, and had a very clear need for a center back and didn't address that. Um, Maguire, obviously with his off-season controversy, and Victor Lindelof are not the most inspiring center back pairing. They were looking at Dio Upamakano. Upamakano re-signed with Leipzig. Um, I think if they don't splash the cash, not only are their fans going to get really upset, I think their play on the pitch is going to suffer for it. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure how they've made their team better, if they've made their team better, and how long Ole can rotate successfully between, oh God, Matamane, Pereira, Matic, Van de Beek, Pogba, Fernandez. Um, it's just not, I just don't see why they would have spent, you know, 35 million pounds on a player when they could have probably allocated those funds much better and helped the rest of their squad. Yeah, Bill, what are your thoughts on Donny van de Beek and also Manchester United challenging for that top four place alongside Chelsea and Arsenal? Uh, I mean, this is the hardest question you'll ever ask. I mean, I feel like the, you know, it's like you guys said, continuity, not really excitement. I think van der Beek is a, what a solid player. He, he's better than I think any other midfielder on Man United squad with exception of, uh, Fernandez, you saw what they did last year. They were exciting sometimes on the break. Otherwise, they scored all their goals through penalties. So, I, I mean, is that sustainable? No, I, I don't. I don't see much. But at least they won't be conceding a lot of goals relative to you know Liverpool, not Liverpool, Leicester, uh, Spurs, and Arsenal. I think fourth place is probably what they're going to get with. I mean, they're not inspiring, but they're not going to collapse. Yeah, I'm not super impressed by Ole. That's not a huge secret. I don't think he is the manager that this United team need to propel them forward. I think he was really found out in that Europa League semifinal against Sevilla. And I think the playbook is out on how to play against this United team. You know, you set up with the low block and you look to counter against them because they don't have the pace at the back nor the defensive nous to really defend, you know, pacey players and crosses coming into the box at high velocity. I think that's the way to beat them. Uh, I also agree with Bill in that that penalty number is going to drop as teams slowly start to figure out how to play against this really pacey, quick offense that draws a lot of penalties. I also think, you know, the signing of Donny van de Beek is good. It's a good transfer. And I think in order to compete in the Premier League at a high level, you need three to four to five high quality midfield options that you can rotate in and out. You know, you look what Chelsea are assembling now, you look at what Liverpool already have, you look at what City already have. So I think you need that depth in midfield in order to compete. I just don't think they've addressed some really key issues that they needed in this squad, like right winger or center back or even left back. Cause I don't think Brandon Williams is the guy going forward for this team. I just don't think he's, you know, a particularly transcendent prospect at that position. So I think it is going to be more of the same for United, but I also agree with Nathan that uh, Ole's time at the club might be winding to an end. If he can't produce something magnificent with his team this season. I, I think they're probably going to finish fourth. I don't think Spurs or Arsenal can really believe that they're better than Manchester United right now. So, I, yeah, I think they're still going to finish top four. That might 
result in Ole being fired, but I don't really think they're at risk of falling out of the Champions League places. Shall we move across Manchester and discuss the Premier League hopefuls, Man City? Yeah, Caleb. You're a formerly a Manchester City fan. I don't know if we've mentioned that before on this podcast. Wait, is that? I did not know that at all. Caleb, explain yourself. That is true. That's that's probably true. I I mean, I still don't think I really have a Premier League team, in all honesty. Um, I I think I more have teams I don't like, right? Like, I don't especially like Chelsea or Manchester United. I probably have soft spots for Spurs and City a little bit. Um, I, I think I count myself as kind of like a, you know, third tier Liverpool fan just via the Boston thing but but at one point I, I think City were probably one of my more favorite teams especially when like Yaya Toure and David Silva were in their prime I remember you were very happy when Jesus Navas moved to the Premier League as well yeah yeah I liked I liked the whole Spanish thing speaking of uh Spanish wingers coming into <laughs> Man City they have signed the young prospect Ferran Torres from Valencia we've already addressed the uh the fire sale going on at that club, I'm going to continue to use the term fire sale <laughs> to uh, Nathan's dismay. But they have also signed Nathan Ake from relegated Bournemouth, who's going to be good cover for them on the left side of the defense. And they are also, according to Fabrizio Romano, trying very much to sign Kaladu Koulibaly from Napoli before the window closes in October. Bill, what are your thoughts on Man City restocking this summer, especially since they finished so far off the pace last season? Oh, come on. I, I think they're not going to hit the heights again this year. I honestly, what has Ferran Torres done is, is my, my first question. My second question is, I mean, Nathan Ake is not an elite player. I think 41 million pounds is a ridiculous fee for a guy who wasn't really impressive in a back four at Bournemouth. Koulibaly, he's been blighted by a pretty awful Napoli season from last year. I, I, I would be concerned. That being said, Guardiola is Guardiola, and he is unfortunately a fantastic manager. Never been a huge fan, but I appreciate um, his style and his game. You know, he he can engineer a lot. I think what we saw from City last year were really silly mistakes, like losing to Norwich at Carrow Road. I mean. What is that tying with uh, Southampton? I mean, what is that? I mean, these are all things that can be fixed without signings. So, I mean, I'm not impressed by their transfer window. I think, um, you know, it it has to come down to how can they fix their mentality. I'm skeptical of that, but there's obviously the possibility that, you know, things change. I think City win the league this year. Um, Same. Same. Hot take. I mean, I don't really think it is because as we'll get to next, as we as we wrap up with Liverpool, I think Liverpool undergo a massive regression this year. And I think that City, on the balance of things, played incredibly well last year, even though they kind of had these inexplicable like slip ups like against Arsenal in the FA Cup and whatnot. And given that we've talked about their profligacy in the Champions League uh, and that we're focusing just on their Premier League play right now. I think that this is the season where they win the league again. Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League, as was proven by the fact that he won the PFA Player of the Year award last year. He's in the year that should be the prime of his career. He's 29 years old. They're going to get Aguero back. The fact that they you know, have 
Jesus, Foden, Mares, Bernardo Silva, all rotation options up top if they want to, or they can drop Bernardo Silva a little bit. They have Rodri, who's now had a full season at, at CDM. Um, they've got Gundogan, who looked really good for Germany the other day. Um, they basically were able to address their biggest squad areas of, of weakness in terms of getting a left-footed center back in Nathan Ake. And then if they end up spending $75 million on Khalidu Koulibaly, which they can afford to spend because they have no fear of ramifications about FFP or anything, um, then this team will have the best center back pairing in the league too in Koulibaly and uh, Imeric Laporte. Barring some you know major injury like a De Bruyne ligament tear or you know Aguero and Sterling somehow both getting injured for a significant period of time, I think the league is cities to lose this year. Um, and while I would be pleased to see them without silverware again, I doubt that'll be the case. Yeah, I'm with you, Nathan. I think City are going to win the league, and it is not going to be that close. Like, they'll win by, like, eight or nine points. Their offense remains as potent as it was last year. Frankly, if Aguero can stay fit for longer, it could be even better. They didn't even have Leroy Sané at all, really, last season, so selling him doesn't make a difference to that offense. I'm with Bill a little bit that I'm not sure how much Ferran Torres really adds other than it probably allows Bernardo Silva to take up some of the minutes more at center midfield that David Silva is leaving behind. But I think that really this team only conceded two more goals than Liverpool in the entirety of the Premier League last year. And it was these just consistent mental lapses that really downed them. And I think Guardiola probably at this point knows this and is going to do everything in his power to sort of prevent them going forward but i agree i think man city are likely to win the title i'm less convinced than nathan and caleb are i think i'm more in with with bill here i don't think they've done quite enough in order to bridge the gap between themselves and liverpool i certainly think they won't make as many high profile errors as they made last season but i also don't think they've improved significantly and, and it sounds like that koulibaly deal is going to be very slow to get across the line and very frustrating to finish if it is ever finished i also don't think koulibaly is you know, a transcendent center back. He's did not show up well against Barcelona. He's not someone who I've seen who can play particularly well in high pressure situations. And the Premier League is a pressure cooker environment from start to finish. So I'm not entirely convinced about that signing either. Imeric Laporte will hopefully be a fit for them throughout the course of the season. You know, he's on his day, probably the second best center back in the entire league. He's not someone who I think can stay fit for an entire campaign. Kyle Walker is a year older at right back. Ben Many is a year more at left back. So I'm with Bill. I'm not super convinced that this team can get over that mental lapse. I don't think they brought in the players to really compete with those guys that fell so far off the pace last season. And I think it's just going to be another case of City haven't really fully addressed the needs in order to really restart the cycle again and compete towards you know, the levels that they were competing at in 2017, 2018. A lot of contentious thought and conversation there too. Perhaps for the final bit of our podcast. I'm going to let you guys take this and then I'll hop in at the end. So I, I'm very excited to hear what you guys have to have to say. But, you know, what they do say is when you come at the king, you best not miss. So take <laughs> it away, boys. Talk to me about Liverpool. Well... Where do we begin? Perhaps with their one signing? Uh, Liverpool brought in Costas Simicas as left-back cover from Olympiacos. 
Mick has shared a couple of times the story about how they went and spotted him when he was at Willem's Vi. Perhaps what's most important to Liverpool's success is the departure, weirdly, of, quote, the best center back in the world, Dejan Lovren and Adam Lallana. In these two departing transfers, Liverpool lose some very important squad depth, and it leaves them with, really, three first-team center backs uh, in Virgil van Dijk, Joel Matip, and Joe Gomez. Um, And when you think about how last year in the cup games, they were already forced to play Fabinho at center back, for example. And when you consider that Billy Cometio, their promising center back, is 17 years old and nowhere near ready, um, this team, I think, is set to regress and regress massively. Um, And while I do think that Salah and Mane will continue to score goals, I don't think that they're going to score just as many goals as they have in the past. And I think there's a huge onus on Roberto Firmino to score goals this year, given that Liverpool were able to win the league without him scoring a single goal at home. I don't think, or he scored one goal at home. Still, I don't think that you can get away with that for two years in a row. And don't get me wrong. I have a ton of respect for Klopp and I have a lot of respect for Liverpool, but if Genie Wijnaldum leaves to Barcelona, which looks like will be the case at this point, you're going to be left with a whole lot of minutes for players like Nabi Keita, uh, Takumi Minamino, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, players who haven't been able to either stay fit or get integrated in the squad. And for that reason, I think Liverpool will finish third in the Premier League this year. For once, I find myself in complete agreement with Nathan, uh, which is very <laughs> unusual on this podcast. I think, yeah, I think their defense honestly has lost a lot of depth. I think we shouldn't overlook... Nathaniel Klein leaving on a free also. And so now they have a situation where who's their cover at right back? It's just Joe Gomez. But if he's playing at center back, that doesn't really count. Um, I also look at Mohamed Salah, whose goal scoring rate has gone down every year in the Premier League. He had 32 and 36 his first year, 22 and 38, and then 19 and 34 last year. So he definitely has, over time, looked less the kind of explosive, exciting talent and more kind of settling down to a level that's probably closer to 15 goals a year, which I think is not good now that Liverpool have kind of peaked. Um, I think same thing with Roberto Firmino, who it's unclear whether he's going to, you know, hit the 20 goal mark again or whether he's really more like 11 and 12. I just don't think this team is offering anything new. And I know they won the title very early at the end of last year. And as a result, you know, we can excuse some of their worst results in the restart. But I just don't think that this team's going to, you know, get close to 100 points again this year. Right. And I think that Man City are going to win. I think Liverpool are going to finish third. And I think Chelsea are going to finish second. I don't know. I, I think I think rather than critiquing the players, I think we need to look at uh, Klopp's tactics, which I think are the most original tactics in the league still. And so the question is, how do you beat Liverpool? And I mean, it's a hard question because what Liverpool didn't really lose last year. And so, I don't know, to me, there are, I think, a couple of areas where you can target the Liverpool game. Uh, One is sort of, I guess, target the weaker center back, but that requires not having Van Dijk bail him out. Capitalize on space left behind by Andy Robertson but he just has to be a little bit more careful and at left back. I guess you have to press Allison, but like 
as long as he doesn't play stupid short passes, he'll be fine. And then what? I mean, then you sort of just have to exploit space from wide forwards. Those aren't really concrete ways to tactically beat a team that is very well disciplined and knows how to play the way that Klopp likes them, likes the team to play. I mean, so for the lack of transfer signings, I think Liverpool gains a team that knows a very regimented system very, very well. I think, you know, has the opportunity to, say, win or get 95 points easily. I think, I honestly think Chelsea will be their main rival this year. Um, it's it's not going to be Mad City, I personally, but uh, I think Liverpool will still be very tough. I think people will be very afraid of them. They play a very scary style of attractive attacking uh, football. So I don't know. I think, yeah, like I said, think less about the players that they sign and think more about this, the culture and system they've created. I really couldn't have said that better myself. I think it's really easy to get distracted when other teams around you are making huge moves. And I certainly think there are a lot of Liverpool fans out there who are petrified by the fact that we've only brought in one player and that player isn't a real first team name. This Liverpool team have found ways to adapt and win games season in, season out. They have not looked like the same team, even though they've had the same personnel. Year after year after year, they found ways to integrate new names or change up the tactics in a way that makes them unpredictable. I just think that this is a team that has an infinite number of ways to beat you. You know, whether it's a long pass from Van Dyke, whether it's runs from overloading runs from Trent or Andy Robertson, Sadio Mane taking players one on one, whether it's Salah cutting in it from the right and playing as more of a number nine, whether it's Roberto Firmino dropping back into midfield and linking the play together. There are so many ways for this team to beat you. And like Bill said, I don't think anyone has really found a way to figure them out yet when they're playing at their full flow. This Liverpool team is in a, is a momentum team, which I think makes them the most dangerous side still in the Premier League. I think you can look at the game against Arsenal and you could see that they weren't in the Community Shield and they weren't fully at it because they hadn't reached that momentum that we saw them in, you know, when they were beating Leicester 4-0 away from home in December. I think this Liverpool team needs a few games in order to get that championship medal underneath their feet again. And then we'll see that same Liverpool that was grinding results away from home and blowing teams away at Anfield. They're still, on paper, the best team in the Premier League. They have the best center back. They have the best fullbacks. They have the best wingers. They have the best cohesive midfield unit. And until we see the season start, I don't think there's any way to disprove that yet. You know, whether or not Thiago comes in, he'll be a huge boost to this team. He'll be another tool for Klopp to use and deploy in a way to give Liverpool even more variations in which to beat you. I also think that he his immense faith shown in players like Curtis Jones and Neko Williams can only mean good things going forward for this Liverpool team. I especially am excited to see the full integration of Takumi Minamino, who I think if we had signed him this summer, Liverpool fans would be absolutely raving about him. I think the fact that it's taken him a little bit to get up to speed with the rest of the team has sort of tampered our expectations for him, but I think he's a brilliant player who's going to offer us something different going into this season. Liverpool are still the favorites in the Premier League. They finished 18 points ahead of the competition last season, 20-plus points ahead of everyone not named Manchester City. I just don't see where this Liverpool team stumbles. I think you are right in saying that they're going to need to dig deeper than they ever have 
into that bag of mental fortitude in order to keep grinding these results out like they were towards the beginning of last season. They did fall off the pace, like Caleb was saying, after they had won the league title. But there's no one else in this league who knows how to re-motivate a team like Jurgen Klopp. You know, this is a team that made it to the Champions League final in 2018 and lost, made it to the Champions League final in 2019 and won, lost the league by one point in 2018 or in 2019, won the league in 2020. So for me, there's no reason to see why this personnel that Liverpool has can't keep getting better under Klopp's management. I could be wrong, you know, and maybe City do come strolling back in and they snatch the title away from us. I just don't see how they do it because no one else has figured out how to really break this Liverpool team down yet, except for maybe Diego Simeone. But the thing is, you don't have to worry about beating Liverpool twice a year if you're looking to win the league. You just have to beat, you know, 18 other teams if you're Man City. In perspective, Man City are 33-point favorites over Liverpool. I think that's insane. That's insane. We finished 18 points over them last season. How can they be? That's just like ridiculous statistic. And it's based only based on the fact that Liverpool haven't made any signings this season. No, actually, no, but but 538 don't take the new signings into account at all. It's all about the soccer that you were playing. Man City have a better offense and a better defense than City coming off of last year. Uh, both the bookies and the stats people think that they're favorites over Liverpool. I think that you have a little bit of bias on this issue, actually. And frankly, there is a way to beat Liverpool. Arsenal did it. Not only did we beat Liverpool, we beat it, I mean, we we you drew were, Liverpool. You didn't beat them. You beat us on penalties, sure. We but like you can't you can't look at no, anything we, that Liverpool we, did we, from we, March we, onward. We, we, we literally beat you. What are you talking about? In the community shield, man. That means no, not literally the, nothing. No, not, not in the community shield. I'm talking about the end of last season. After we won oh, the league and we were still nothing. hungover. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of excuses. I don't, I don't know. know. All I'm saying is 538 give Manchester City a 57% chance of winning and Liverpool a 24% chance of winning. No, no, no. Look, 538 said Olympiacos at some point was the 10th best team in Europe. Let's 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 just That's a fact. You know, <laughs> let's say let's give a good like a a hint of no, caution. No, no, no but all, all I'm saying is that there are some people that do math or whatever they do, right? And they've come up with... <laughs> and they I think you guys spit really out a number. They spit out a number that suggests that Man City are not only favorites for the Premier League, they're overwhelming favorites. I don't understand that personally. And this is not even coming from a biased perspective. If this was just me looking at the balance of things last season, Man City finished well off the pace last season. And like Bill was saying, I don't think Nathan Ake and Fran Torres are going to be good enough in order to propel them or like even provide even something so much as a semblance of competition for this team to remotivate themselves going forward. And I think you're still looking at the fact that this City team is going to be gassed coming off of that Champions League exit last season. And a lot of those players were involved in the Nations League. So Liverpool have had time to rest and recharge in the way that City hasn't. And I just think that when this team is at full tilt, there's no way to stop them. There's like, I guess you could maybe go and interview Diego Simeone, ask about like how he set up his low block to counter Liverpool so effectively. But he's been the only guy who's been able to really poke a significant hole in this team and damage them. No one in the Premier League has done that for the past two years, aside from City and the beginning of 2019. Well, we we shall see. And also, Nathan see. is not, you know, Nathan wants to call me biased. This is someone who tweeted this week that Ajax would have beaten Liverpool in the 2019 Champions League final had they made it there. So I don't want to talk about bias because I think we all know who 
biased on this podcast. But am I biased? Is not the defending champion of the Premier League. It was in response to a prompt that said, "What is your weird sporting opinion that you that you like are hard pressed to get rid of?" Yeah, I think it's a weird opinion that you don't think <laughs> Liverpool aren't more favored to retain their Premier I mean, League title. But that's just me coming from a fan of a club that is, uh, you know, recovering from the banter era. That's a lot of uh, okay flames okay. to shoot at the, okay. at, the, at the king, bro. So okay, I think you should take a seat. Okay, and enjoy that fourth place finish <laughs> this season. <laughs> While we're uh, going to be competing in the Champions League, okay. you're going to uh, have enjoy, a lot you know, of playing, playing away in, in Hungary okay. with you know those peasant Arsenal fans and uh, Arsenal <laughs> fan TV. Chill, chill a little bit. This is this is you know that's a not doing yourself any favors. Oh my huh? god! Wow! Wow! That is look. I think the best thing is to hope for a three horse race and not say mean things like that about peasant Arsenal fans, gotcha. which you know, I don't know. The living costs in London are too high for that. <laughs> Boy, that escalated quickly. You know, things no. are crazy when Bill ends up being the most sensible person, yeah, uh, in the conversation. <laughs> I think I'm honestly just like a little heated because of our own fan base, somewhat who I think are are kind of underestimating our team somewhat. And I think like when your own fan base are coming at the management of the club, you know, coming at Klopp, coming at like the fact that we haven't made any transfers, you know, like being bantered about like, oh, like we're going to raise the money for Tiago. I think that just like sets a bad tone for the start of the season and just kind of undermines the work that this team has already done, you know. I, I think if Liverpool get Tiago, they'll win the league. But without Tiago, I think they'll finish third. Yeah. And obviously, I don't. I don't mean to say that all Arsenal fans are peasants. Uh, just a little bit of banter. I actually respect Arsenal as a club. I respect Arteta. I obviously respect Nathan. You know, I do a podcast with him every week. So, you know, listen. This has been a bit more of a contentious episode than usual, but we are very happy to have wrapped up our Premier League preview for this season. I think it's certainly going to be a far more competitive and enjoyable season, regardless of what goes down towards the top of the table. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for coming on and joining us again. Of course, man. It's been a memorable experience. Let's just say that. (laughs) All righty then. That has been Corner Kick. Hope you enjoy the start of the new Premier League season. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time.